make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. strange, strange world we exist in nowadays, where social media is always inundating us with hot takes while we're all just trying to get through this global pandemic. Some quote-unquote hot takes are like, oh, I like pineapples on pizza, but others are just straight-up misinformation. And some types of misinformation are definitely higher stakes than others. Literally a matter of life and death, even. Some forms of misinformation are like, hey, I think crystals help me with my anxiety, or something. And that's certainly wrong and fucked up to believe, but other types of it are telling people not to get vaccinated, especially in these deadly times. And I think in terms of urgency, medical anti-life-saving vaccine misinformation takes are at the top of that list right now. I mean, we're in a pandemic. They're in a category of their own, in fact, where more people can see the absolute necessity of preventing those kinds of views from spreading. But on the flip side, you have a lot of people who do not see the distinct nature of such misinformation, even in the context of these plague times. And so they engage in all types of whataboutery. Some of them have pretty large platforms. We will be covering a couple of those types in some detail. Lately, Joe Rogan has been facing some higher-than-usual levels of scrutiny, you could say. And as an intellectual dark web watcher, and Rogan being one of the original IDW members, I have some thoughts. It is interesting how over the years we see the IDW world spill out into the normie world more and more. I mean, those of us in the atheist scene that have left or progressive politics have been sounding the alarm about people like Rogan for years. There are about five of us. (laughs) I kid, I kid. Perhaps a few more, but not too, too many more. The new atheist scene, which eventually joined forces with some others and morphed into the IDW, had long felt like an unwelcome place for minorities of all sorts. And I don't know if Rogan identifies as an atheist or whatever, but I do know that his show has been extremely popular and well-known in the atheist scene for years before it became bigger and more mainstream, I guess. Perhaps because of how often he covered the threats of Islam. 
over the years and how many prominent atheist figures he had on his show repeatedly and how many of the scenes, anti-left, anti-Muslim talking points he spouted himself. And if he wasn't spouting them himself, he was giving someone else a platform to say it, or he was just laughing along with them. Here's a clip of him and Milo Yiannopoulos. We weren't going to do this. We weren't going to do this. Uh, sure, but um, well, Islam hasn't gone through the Enlightenment. I mean, did I you, think did you ever see? One. Did I don't you, think it's getting one. You don't think it's impossible? It's, it's a possible change. Uh, I think it's highly unlikely that Islam um, will ever get to it. I don't think it's ever going to engage properly with the modern world. I think it just needs to be eradicated. Wow. I watched this twice. He was, was. A, he was a bloody because Islamic. He was an Islamic radical, right? right? I mean, you know, there's no reason to have anybody with those surnames in this country at all. Um, Whoa! How dare I'm you? Tired what be, about Aziz Ansari? I'm so, oh Son God! No, he deserves to be deported <laughs> solely because he's so unfunny. He's oh, so unfunny. I, I would deport boring, more. unfunny people before oh. Muslims, before feminists, oh. before vapors, oh. before cyclists. Vapors. Oh, vapors have got to go. Vapors have got to go. They've got to go over the wall. Deport. Now, even the blue cigarettes, or are you talking about All the people that are holding on to like the water bottles? Oh, the, the tubes those on the end of steampunk them. things. Yeah, those people shouldn't just be deported. They should be. They should be executed publicly. <gasps> there is a. There is no. We have. Look, Rude. Look, no, I'm serious. My friend Jonathan has one of those. Jonathan in Canada. If you're hearing this, of course I'm he does. He's so Canadian. Sorry. Canadian. He's a good man. He lives oh. in Alberta. Go. Oh. <laughs> Now, of course, Milo buries the dangerous and genuinely wildly popular talking point at the time about not allowing Muslims into the West by including other absurd categories. But we all know that was Milo's whole shtick, smuggling in his extremism via his troll comments and then retreating to, what, I was just joking, when called out. But Rogan's was a large platform given to him, more than once to spout this shit. Get to it. I don't think it's ever going to engage properly with the modern world. I think it just needs to be eradicated. Wow. Right? I mean, you know, there's no reason to have anybody with those surnames in this country at all. Right? I mean, you know, there's no reason to have anybody with those surnames in this country at all. Anyway, some of us who've observed Rogan for years and years and years have a broader view of his content. And with that wider lens and knowledge of his show from before any Spotify or anti-vax controversies can see some very distinct troubling patterns that maybe a lot of commentators who have a more recent, more surface level knowledge do not see. And that's how you get shallow analysis and apologetics like John Stewart's and Trevor Noah's. Not names I ever would have expected to be talking about in this context. Strange times we live in. Rogan has some great defenders rising up in solidarity like Andy No, Donald Trump Jr., Bolsonaro, and uh, John Stewart and Trevor Noah. Oh, disappointing, I know. But in the 2010s and even before, I... I love Jon Stewart's commentary and thought it was great and hard-hitting, but looking back, not, not so much. It wasn't necessarily that he was laser-sharp and very effective. It was that I was much less politically informed a decade or more ago. So these kinds of shallow, milquetoast critiques seemed good enough at the time. 
It made me feel like I was well-informed and it was accessible and watered down. I recently did a Twitter space called Welcome to the IDW, John Stewart. <laughs> I'll link it in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, I'm really liking these Twitter spaces so far. But anyway, it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek title, though I do seriously get some IDW rational centrist vibes from what John's been saying and doing lately. And this Rogan defending was just, ugh, boy. But then I really thought about what his past views were like. And, you know, things like his rally to restore sanity and or fear in 2010 really did not age well, if you think about it. Especially looking at it now, after what the entire world just went through in the Trump era. In fact... In hindsight, it seems like it was maybe an indicator of what was to come. The type of empty, hollow, milk toast, both sides legitimizing, pointless, wishy-washy liberal politics that was weak and inadequate as fuck during the Trump years. That whole cringe rally was all about reaching across the aisle and legitimizing both sides. And ironically, it featured Kid Rock singing some sort of centrist anthem, too. <laughs> As if there wasn't a very valid reason for people to be angry in the face of grave injustice or in the face of the racism that was bubbling to the surface in the Obama years that was setting the stage for Trump. The birtherism and all. As if that was equivalent to the other side that was simply, understandably, unhappy with all that. (laughs) They handed out medals of reasonableness. (laughs) And, I mean, it's just... It's a pretty rich, scoldy sort of tone, too. Why can't we all just get along? Coming from someone who mocked mostly Republican figures and politicians for a living, right? But since he's returned to public life recently, Jon Stewart's been doing some weird shit. Like, you know, just asking questions and making jokes about a Wuhan lab leak. And, you know, the whole thing about backtracking from calling out the anti-Semitic imagery and symbolism and Harry Potter. I mean, whether you agree with his earlier take on that being something that was present or not, you should at least be able to see that walking back a claim just because it was put in the spotlight was kind of cowardly and very IDW-esque. <laughs> and most recently, there's the Joe Rogan apologetics. I suppose it shouldn't be all that surprising, considering his both sidesy and softballing history. And keeping that in mind... Let's check out some clips from it, shall we? And I would say this. Don't leave. Don't abandon. Don't censor. Engage. I'm not saying it's, it's always going to work out fruitfully. I mean, come on. No one is obligated to engage, firstly, with a racist, misogynistic, anti-vax dipshit. But... People are engaging, though. They are listening to more of his content and responding to it according to how they feel. That is engagement. It may not be the kind of engagement Rogan wants, but it is engagement. 
It is absolutely not censorship to want to pull out your own content, like Neil Young did, which is what Jon Stewart is talking about, because you don't want to be associated with a platform. This everything is censorship nonsense is getting ridiculous, really. And don't abandon? What the fuck does anyone owe Joe Rogan? People are free to consume the content they want to and not consume what they don't want to. To associate with who they want to and not associate with whom they don't. This isn't abandonment. Joe Rogan isn't a little baby that people have to coddle and care for. And so uh, I think all the overblown rhetoric about him, and here's the other thing. Like, it's like he has no clue about what Rogan is known for. Mountains and mountains of bigotry of all types. Constantly. I bet, or I hope at least, that he feels a little silly saying it was overblown after he heard all the N-word clips that even Rogan had to say sounded really bad. Do you think that's a minor issue, Jon Stewart? Do you think people are being oversensitive about racial slurs? And I mean, thousands and thousands of people are dying of COVID every day around the world. If people aren't going to react to anti-vax misinformation and unhinged conspiracy theories about the pandemic, then what can they have a reaction to? When would this minimal act of people pulling their own bloody content, when would it be proportional for John Galaxy Brain Stewart? It's not like Rogan is being imprisoned. If not during a global pandemic with a massive death toll, then when? When can they express their distaste for a platform exactly? And Spotify removing Rogan episodes is also well within their rights as his sort of publisher, though they are now claiming that he himself has decided to remove those episodes. But either way, Rogan is free to remove his episodes if he likes, and if that isn't the case, publishers also decide what to and what not to publish all the time. (laughs) It does kind of make them look ridiculous, though, that they had to remove so many episodes. (laughs) What are we at? Like, 113 last I heard? Did did they not check his podcast out before paying 100 million for it? Of course they did. Of course they did. They probably paid him for his edgelordiness. But they did not anticipate the level of heat that came from him pushing anti-vax stuff during the pandemic. Also, these episodes are available or will be available somewhere else, I'm sure. And interestingly though, they haven't yet removed the two recent anti-vax episodes that really got this started. So yeah, (laughs) who the fuck knows what's going on behind the scenes, but the anti-vax info is alive and well and still reaching many, many people. Thanks, Spotify. Anyway, then, oh, then John jumps right into the most IDW-type excuse that anyone following that whole ecosystem of hacks should be well and truly familiar with. He has four-hour conversations, and they are expansive, 
and he may say some things that you think is misinformation, and he may platform people that you think are wrong, but to single that out as something so egregious as to have to be, I just don't, I think there are dishonest bad actors in the world. And, and identifying those is so much more important to me. Aw, singling out poor little Rogan's bigotry, misinformation, and racist guests is just so unfair. <laughs> you know what I think? Is that all these celebrities, regardless of politics, people who have achieved a certain level of fame, stick together on the quote-unquote cancellation thing because they all fear it could happen to them too. And being in the public eye under constant scrutiny, I'm sure it's nerve-wracking, but like not all bad takes are the same level of bad. I hate to keep repeating myself, but anti-vax misinformation is certainly one of the worst things you can do in the COVID era. And Rogan is deeply, deeply guilty of that. Racial slurs would be another huge one in general. And Rogan has been repeatedly awful on that, too. These are not things that accidentally slip out once. These are things that Rogan has done repeatedly and planned and thought about. And we'll get to the topic of slurs in a bit, but for now, back to John. Throughout his statement on this topic, he was doing this pathetic whataboutery that I've seen commonly also in the IDW and heterodox realms, that so-and-so spread this other kind of misinformation, should we remove their content too? Then we'll be left with nothing. But what these big-brained tags fail to see, I'll say it once again, is that medical misinformation during a deadly global pandemic is in its own category. It is next-level urgent. This isn't comparable to other kinds of misinformation. Like Neil Young's anti-GMO views are not good, but they are nowhere near as dangerous as what Rogan is doing regarding vaccines on his massive, massive platform. And at this point, I would also like to make clear that I believe there are many reasons Joe Rogan's content is concerning, and I've been talking about that from a long time before his anti-vax days. While I completely agree that medical misinformation is on its own level in terms of urgency and all that, I must also say that I find the people who only care about Joe Rogan's anti-vax rhetoric extremely concerning too, because the other stuff also has many harmful real-world effects. The constant anti-Muslim bigotry that has been a staple on his show is something that affects families like mine. The sexism, the transphobia, the anti-feminism, the climate change denial, the platforming and legitimizing of far-right guests is a way he has personally helped extremism and polarization grow. But I'm seeing a lot of this in rational centrist circles that, oh, we got to stay on track and only combat the anti-vax stuff. I don't think so. There's a lot of massive issues with Rogan's podcast that we should talk about now while the conversation is ongoing. No one is going to forget about the anti-vax stuff. Well, except for Spotify. 
but that's intentional. So we can talk about racism and bigotry as well. It just comes off so douchey when people say other major things also can't be addressed. So when John Stewart says, And he may platform people that you think are wrong, but to single that out, I think there are dishonest bad actors in the world. And, and identifying those is so much more important to me. It's like he's talking out of his ass, I'm sorry to say. Someone who once was a knowledgeable political commentator simply does not appear to understand this new media landscape or the actors in it. He is looking for a Tucker Carlson or Bill O'Reilly or something to be the obvious bad actor. Not someone who sits around and smokes weed on his show. That must mean he's a liberal. It's not like he platforms just someone slightly off, John. He has platformed some extreme far-right people for friendly conversations, not for, like, hostile debates. Gavin McInnes, for one, who founded the Proud Boys, and he talked about it even on Joe's show. Uh, I started this gang called the Proud Boys. And, the Proud uh, Boys? The Proud Boys. What is the, what's the Proud Boys about? Joe gave him not just one, but at least two appearances that I can think of on the largest podcast in the world. In another conversation, Joe said, after he already knew about Gavin and the Proud Boy connection, the reason why I brought up Gavin is that I think that there I've I have had a couple podcasts with him and people have had like weird conversations with me sure. about it. And yeah. I've, I've said this is one of the things that I've said is like look that guy's mostly fun. Yeah. Mostly fun. And this is after Gavin has said things like Muslims are too inbred for the West on his show. But I don't think that other cultures are different. I think they're worse. And Islam is 500 years behind us. We were shitty. We had witch hunts. Inquisition. We had the Inquisition. They're doing, they're not caught up to us yet. They're not as advanced. And I think two big problems with them as far as progress goes is the Quran is an exceptionally violent book. It doesn't have a 2.0 the way Christians do. And no one ever talks about this, but they have a major problem with inbreeding. They are marrying their first cousins again and again and again, and that makes your evolution go backwards. Is this true? Where yes. are you getting that from? I never Consanguinity, I think it's called. Muhammad said it's okay to marry your first cousin. For real? And you do that once or twice, it's pretty bad. And you do it for 40 generations, and now you're going back in time. Look at Iran in 1965. Mini skirts, woman doing chemistry with test tubes, driving around. Hi, you want to go to the go-go hop later? <laughs> and now just garbage bags. Oh, Gregorian chants everywhere. They've gone backwards in time, and I blame, obviously, the, the Quran and the culture and religion, but also... I think inbreeding enables them to get hijacked by these radicals. I mean, dude, strap yourself in for this. 70% of all Pakistanis are inbred. And in Turkey, the amount is between 25 to 30%. More stillbirths among immigrants. A rough estimate reveals that close to half of everybody living in the Arab world is inbred. A large percentage of the parents said, this is blowing my mind. That is insane. I also read somewhere that a lot of the symptoms of inbred people are uh, irrational rage uh, fanaticism 
and they end up just describing ISIS. Look at what it says here that um, with the, uh, the IQ points, it says findings on intelligence research shows that if one parents are cousins, if one's parents are cousins, intelligence goes down 10 to 16 IQ points. The risk of having an IQ lower than 70, criterion for being retarded in quotes. Are they using that word? Who uses that word? They use it like that? I've never seen the use like that. I've always seen it. I don't think it's a medical distinction. This is a real website. Yeah. The fuck are we they reading said from? Retardation. Did they say retard? no? It says retarded. It says retarded in quotes. Oh, See it the there? Legal. Yeah. That is the medical definition. Increases four hundred percent among children from cousin marriages. Well, let me say that again. The risk of having an IQ lower than 70 increases 400% amongst children from cousin marriages. So fun, huh? Here's Gavin, just the guy who founded a violence-glorifying neo-fascist movement, laying out his cute and wacky, harmless little theory about why Muslims are genetically predisposed to becoming terrorists because they're all so inbred. What could be wrong with that? To Rogan, Gavin McInnes is just another interesting guy, totally credible, who we should hear out, who should get to spread these talking points. And then notice the part where Rogan, for a second, doubts the source, but then just continues going along with it. These are the types of claims Rogan has treated as legitimate and worth hearing over the years. As we heard earlier, he platformed and joked around with Milo Yiannopoulos, the guy whose connections with white nationalism and fondness for Nazi symbolism was well documented in 2017. Also the guy who defended pedophilia on Rogan's show. And here's Rogan talking about that. I wonder how much of homosexual behavior could be uh, induced by molestation at an early age, though. Because yeah, that's the million-dollar question. That seems to be a real factor. It's not, And this is not denying people um, that are born gay, but I think there's a spectrum. And I think there's most certainly some gay acts that are committed on young people. And horrifically... Those people tend to, on a, a pretty frequent basis, do the same thing to other young kids. Yep. It gets really weird in, in, in terms of like the victims becoming the victimizer. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. We're walking into the elephant in the room. Well, we're kind of not even. I'm just, just talking about, I was listening to the George Takai interview today because they're trying to pull up everybody. Now that the Milo thing is out, they're, they're pulling up everybody who in any way has condoned sex with underage people. And George Takai was talking about his own experiences in camp. And it was on Stern Show. And he was just talking about what he, the way he was describing it as a positive experience with a, a kid who was in his late teens, I think he said he was 19, and he was like 13, somewhere in that age. And, you know, it's absolutely child molestation. It's absolutely right. illegal. But the way he was describing it, he was pretty much describing it as a positive experience. Right. Which, Which when is it's your experience... I mean, it's illegal. The guy did something that was against the law, but boy, that's a weird area because it's his experience that he was talking about. Yeah. But here's my, my point. He's not saying that men should go have sex with younger boys. He was basically saying that it could be a positive experience because it was for him. Well, I don't, I don't know anything about what happened in that capacity. My, my point was, 
if I said when I was 13, a 21-year-old girl fondled me, do you think I'd get in trouble if I said it was awesome? No. I bet I wouldn't. You wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, weird. No, he somehow manages to both be a pedophilia apologist and also do the old-school right-wing fear-mongering about homosexuality. And just to be clear, these are clips from two different conversations. He's let multiple people spout off about the horrors of Islamic immigration, the dangers of allowing more Muslims into the West. Let me draw another analogy. Uh... At the end of every day, you can weigh yourself, and one of three things is going to happen. You've either lost weight that day, your weight did not change a single ounce, or you've put on weight. So let's analogize this with Islam. When Islam comes into a place, either the society gets better, nothing changes, or it gets worse. Do we have enough data at this point after 1,400 years to suggest that we can try to bet what will happen to a society? The answer, regrettably, is yes. Again, I hate to have to preface, of course, most Muslims are lovely and peaceful and wish to simply raise their children. But Islam, as an ideology, when it comes into a new society, is it a good thing? If yes, let's all turn Islamic. If no, then maybe we should have an honest conversation about this. An honest conversation is what's really important because these things get so emotionally charged. Almost the first ones to step up and say, don't criticize this one particular religion, which is, it's very odd because it's the most regressive. It's unbelievable. It's, it's very, it's a really strange position to be a progressive who's reinforcing the ideologies of a regressive culture that's very ancient. So again, if you're going to increase Islamic immigration to the West, of course, most people are nice and just want to escape to a better world. But are you willing to take the risks for what's about to happen? Are you willing to accept people whose cultural and religious values are perfectly antithetical to yours? And in light of attacks rooted in anti-Muslim, great replacement type conspiracy theories, like the Christchurch massacre, this type of content is pretty fucking scary to me, too. The fact that this is being normalized on such a large platform, that that terrifies me. And Rogan himself thinks it's contradictory to say, don't be Islamophobic and also support women or gay rights. Constantly holding these two contradictions, right? I mean, here's another one. Women's rights and support of the hijab. I mean, yeah. What? Yeah, this is. What's going on there? How do you do that? How, you know, don't be Islamophobic, but also support women's rights and gay rights. Yeah. Okay. Tell me that's not reductive and bigoted and denying the diversity among Muslims and the types of Islam they practice. These are just a few of the things I can think of off the top of my head. There is just so so much more. If you were to just scratch beneath the surface. So, no, John Stewart, these aren't regular people that someone might have a few usual political disagreements with. And anyway, no amount of having a regular author or filmmaker on excuses this kind of hateful content. In fact, that is often a tactic in IDW-type circles to sneak in more extreme conversations and people. So you can always point to the occasional normal guest and say, hey, all my guests aren't right-wing hacks or far-right extremists. Look at these regular folks. Something I often say is that the IDW 
is a set of Reuben nesting dolls. If you are not familiar with Dave Rubin's grift, there are plenty of critical videos you can look up. But Dave Rubin was the blueprint for all these guys. His grift can be seen as the most basic and obvious version to compare other IDW types to. Now many of them are no longer fans of Rubin because he became too obvious in a Tucker Carlson sort of way, and that just gives the game away, like, th they don't like that. But his early days were exactly what these guys do in different shapes and sizes. They all use their large platforms to launder right-wing and far-right talking points. They all claim to be disgruntled leftish types who are just more critical of their own side while sneaking in more and more extreme stuff for the right. They all mask their far-right laundering by having a sprinkling of non-controversial regular authors and public figures, and they're all fixated on the horrors of wokeness and the most minor transgressions on the left, while giving a pass to almost everything on the right. When examining these IDW figures, always think of the early days of the Rubengrift and see how they map onto it. You will find that, on the basics at least, they all map on rather well. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> Sorry, got a bit sidetracked with the Ruben IDW analysis, but where were we? Oh, yes. John, John. These aren't slight disagreements people are complaining about. You can't balance out bigotry with non-bigotry. Now, I've saved my favorite clip of Stewart's for last. But I'm always of the mindset that engagement, and especially with someone like a Joe Rogan, who is not, in my mind, an ideologue in any way. And I think the, the proof of that was, I don't know if you remember, there was a guy uh, who went on his podcast named Josh uh, Zeps, who, who had, they were talking about, I think Joe said, myocarditis kids shouldn't get the vaccine because it causes a, a higher risk of myocarditis. And Josh said, well, actually getting COVID is a higher risk of myocarditis for kids. So they should get vaccinated. He said, no, it's not. He said, no, I think it is. He goes, mm, no, I'm pretty sure it's, it's the other way. And they looked it up. And when they looked it up, it came out that it's a much greater risk if you get COVID and you're, you know, 8 to 12 or 6 to 15 or whatever the age range was, it's a much greater risk of myocarditis catching COVID than it is getting the vaccine. And if you are an ideologue or if you are a dishonest person, that is the moment. Like Tucker Carlson in that situation never would have looked it up and would have given that look he gives like somebody's giving him a confusion enema. Like they're just <laughs> like, like they're just firing confusion up his ass. And Joe just went like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, okay, I didn't get that. And, and that to me says, oh, that's a person that you can engage with. <sighs> Firstly, 
using the Josh Subs clip as an example of how Rogan is not an ideologue because he admitted he was wrong is just stupid. He didn't even admit it. He kept stubbornly pushing back. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. And then even while looking it up, he didn't admit he was wrong and was shifting the goalposts about the ages he was talking about. Then even after reading it, he didn't admit he was wrong. He said, where are we even getting this information from? So, so how exactly did he prove that he is so willing to be corrected? In my view, he proved the exact opposite. In fact, even after that, he was retweeting selective tweets that claimed he was right. And even after his non-apology, after he pledged to be more responsible about this stuff, he tweeted a story about ivermectin being effective against Omicron after it had already been polled and corrected. And that was stated in the tweet right under the one he shared. He quote tweeted it from a source called Disclose.tv and said smugly, Well, looky here. You'd think he would have held off on that stuff for a bit, especially after his apology, but no. He did eventually quietly delete it, but issued no correction. His apology was off to such a great start, eh? But back to that Zepps clip. Just listen to how many times he pushes back. For young boys in particular, there's an adverse risk associated with the vaccine. There's like yes. a two to four fold increase in the instances of myocarditis. Yes, but you know what? Hospitalization. The, you know that there's an increased risk of myocarditis in, among that age cohort from getting COVID as well, which exceeds the risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. I don't think that's true. I don't think it it's is. true. I don't, no, no. I don't think it's true that there's an increased risk of myocarditis from people catching COVID that are young versus increased risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. No, there is. There's both. Well, let's look that up, because I don't think that's true. <laughs> There's myocarditis more common after COVID-19 infection than vaccination. But is this with children? Uh, yeah, we're talking about young people. Men and boys aged under 30 after this is what it says here. Yeah, with, with children is the issue. Well, no, we were talking about 15-year-olds. Well, we're talking about young children. Male so, yes, child. 12 to 17. 12 to 17, more likely to build myocarditis with three months of catching COVID at a rate of 450 cases per million infection. This compares to 67 cases of myocarditis per million at the same time following their second dose of Pfizer. Yeah, so you're about eight times likely to get myocarditis from getting COVID than from getting the vaccine. That's interesting. Now, that, that is said, not what I've read before, but also it's like, when we, even when we're reading these things, it's like, what are we getting this from? Is this from well, the VAERS report? But even from the VAERS reports, when they report this stuff, it's like the amount of people that report, the like it's the under-reporting. So, anyway, I thought it was amusing when that clip about myocarditis went viral in the first place and so many people who had no idea who Josh Steps was were giving him props for totally owning Joe Rogan. It was funny because Josh is absolutely one of that crew, a good friend of Rogan's and also a very frequent guest and definitely someone with several galaxy brain takes of his own. And if you looked at his timeline, right after that clip went viral, you'd see that Josh Zepps, in fact, also quote-tweeted one of these hack doctors who was misrepresenting a paper to say Rogan was actually right in that clip, 
Josh was happy to say, hey, yeah, this is an important point. And he also tweeted about how he didn't shut Joe Rogan down and how Rogan, in fact, is so open-minded that he enjoys this kind of pushback. Like, obviously, he was uncomfortable with the narrative pitting them against one another. And if you really want to know what kind of guy Zepps is, Here's a relevant conversation between Josh Zepps, Sam Harris, and Joe Rogan. They had this conversation right after these guys had been discussing BLM and police violence with Hannibal Buress. It was the most awful conversation where Sam Harris brought up every gross Breitbart-type point you could think of. Black-on-black violence, comparing BLM to the alt-right and Trumpism. While the other two white guys mostly nodded along. And Hannibal was clearly understandably getting pretty upset. It was painful to listen to almost. So after all that, Hannibal had gone to the bathroom and that's when these three white guys had this conversation. Josh Zepps took a brave stance on never censoring himself when saying the N-word and claimed it would be a less racist time when people could talk about this word more freely. He does actually say it in this clip, so just letting you know in advance. The question is, is, is whether or not, A, are we going Animals in the right direction? Animals, talk shit about A, a are we going in now, the right Now I can really say what I think about police violence. <laughs> Animal just went to the toilet. Q-N-W-A. Uh, you know, the question is, A, are we moving in the right direction or the wrong direction? And B, are the people who think that they're on the right side of history here, that they're fighting the good fight, actually on the right side of history? Or are they contributing, as you say, Sam, to, to, to an increasing polarization? And as a foreigner here, I definitely noticed... I mean, like, on my part, we've spoken before about the word nigger, Joe, and the fact, that I, the fact that I had to come to a conscious decision... You had to wait till he left? In this <laughs> son <laughs> of a bitch. <laughs> that is likely that he happens to not be in the room. white privilege uh, in action. But the fact that I had to make a conscious decision at some point that I wasn't going to use the phrase the N-word in the United States, because outside of the United States... Hmm. Um, one can discuss the existence of the word. I mean, of course, it's completely taboo, and as it should be, to ever use it in, uh, against somebody. But you can discuss the existence of the word. And I think that... Well, so, so in Australia, people don't say the N-word ever? Never, wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Do when I'm in town. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, <laughs> We're all getting into black jokes by Hannibal's peeing. But I... Uh, <laughs> My point is, hmm. it is, it is noticeable coming here that there is a more... White liberal guilty form More of anti-racist racism is part of the problem. Yeah. Anti-racist the, racism. Yeah. In other words, the, the 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 day when the day when Americans can freely talk about the word nigger without saying the N word is not going to be a day in which America is more racist. It's going to be a day when America is less racist. And this kind of constipated white terror about com- about conversing about race yeah. is is evidence of. I mean, is t- is entangled with the problem of racism in Australia. It's much more laid back. People, are, you're much less likely to get criticised for making it. Yeah. That's the guy everyone was claiming was a hero for owning Rogan, completely missing the context of how he actually wouldn't even want to do that. That's not what he was invited on for. He wasn't a deferring viewpoint on for balance. He aligns with Joe on a lot of topics, in fact. So that clip was just a bad example all around. 
Another great take I remember from Josh was when he tweeted angrily in response to news about a violent white supremacist, Chris Cantwell, being removed from OK Cupid. He tweeted, This kind of smug groupthink, you know, I can only assume he means the woke kind, is neither brave nor wise. Assholes are entitled to live a life. To get laid, crushing them will blow back. And he was, quote, tweeting a tweet that clearly described Cantwell as a white supremacist. So that is obviously not just a regular asshole. I think OkCupid was absolutely correct to protect their other users from a fucking violent extremist. It always amazes me how the most minor consequences upset these guys so, so much, yet they expect people to be okay with racial slurs and shit. But, yeah, that myocarditis clip sure has been used to show what a great guy both Rogan and Josh Zepps are. Not very accurate, in my opinion. And now, Josh Zepps is using Jon Stewart referencing him as further validation that both him and Rogan are great. As I record this, his current pinned tweet is, To the Rogan haters, Jon Stewart agrees that my exchange with Joe Rogan is an example of what Joe does right. Right below that, he's tweeted a screenshot of an article referencing Jon Stewart mentioning Zepps and said, I wouldn't have predicted as I headed from Rogan's studio to Austin Airport that in three weeks' time, Billboard would be commenting on Jon Stewart commenting on me commenting on Joe Rogan's comment. And right below that, he's tweeted at Jon Stewart directly, thanking him for the shout-out and extending him an invite onto Zepps' IDW podcast. And that's full circle. As I said earlier, welcome to the IDW, John Stewart. Well done, John. Thanks for making this guy feel so important and validated. The, 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 day when, the day when Americans can freely talk about the word nigger without saying the N-word is not going to be a day in which America is more racist. It's going to be a day in which America is less racist. And from the topic of this Josh Zepps clip, I'd like to jump over to Trevor Noah's recent excuse-making for Joe Rogan, too, because Noah also referenced this clip. I understand the nuance of this point. Joe Rogan makes a shit ton of podcasts, and in those podcasts, there were like maybe two podcasts or so where people are like, we don't like what you what you said there. But he's not wrong in saying that he sometimes brings people on who say the opposite point to that. And the reason we know that that's true is because we've all seen that clip of Joe Rogan's where he's on his show being corrected by somebody on his show. So he's not lying when he says he brings people on to correct him. And the, we saw the correction in live, like, you know what I mean? Happened in real time on his show. So I'd go, yes, he does bring that stuff on. The context is very important is what I'm saying, right? Joe Rogan does. He talks about MMA. He has authors on, uh, really cool authors sometimes. You know, he talks to real doctors who disagree with him, etc., etc., etc. He does He does that in Joe Rogan's defense. can't believe I'm saying that now. But now, you know, I also want to live in a reasonable world. In Joe Rogan's defense, he does bring other people on. Occasionally, perhaps. But Josh Zepps wasn't one of those people at all. But because of the internet age we live in, we shit on people based on the little that we see of them. We don't give them the full context. People are like, I'm not going to listen to hours and hours of Joe Rogan. I'm just going to get angry about this and move on with my life. So in his defense, I get that part of what he's saying. All right? I get it. But everything in life needs context. Like if you cut out one part, then sometimes you can lose it. 
This out-of-context excuse is the classic old Sam Harris excuse, as we've already discussed, where he would say some absolutely deranged thing and claim people were taking him out of context when they called him out on it. I mean, fucking hell. The more you listen to Rogan and the more context you gain, the worse it fucking sounds. Hey, Trevor Noah, how do you feel about the added context of the... N-word clip compilation, or the horrid Planet of the Apes comment Rogan made about arriving in a black neighborhood, or the clip of him laughing along with someone claiming to coerce women repeatedly into oral sex. And it wasn't some awkward, oh, that's fucked up kind of laugh. He was laughing hysterically, clapping his hands and throwing his head back. That's how funny he thought it was. As I said, the more context you have on Joe Rogan, the fucking worse it gets. And these are some things that you simply cannot balance out by having on guests with different viewpoints. Talking to someone against coercing women into sex will not excuse laughing along with someone who claims to have coerced women into sex, for example. This is what Trevor Noah thought of Rogan's original non-pology when he got heat for anti-vax misinformation. In my opinion, I actually thought it was a pretty classy apology from Joe Rogan. You know, for him to say, I can do better, Um, I'm not trying to spread misinformation, Uh, you know, I will try and do a better job at this. I actually thought it was pretty classy. Spoken like someone who really isn't familiar with Rogan's whole song and dance routine whenever he gets a little heat. Don't listen to me, I'm a little baby comedian podcaster. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yet this isn't how he presents the situation when he's talking to these people with like different opinions or whatever. Even in his non-pology, he presented the anti-vax conspiracy theorists as highly credentialed and highly qualified. He does not listen to both sides in the same way. You can always see when he's passionate and completely in agreement with someone he's hand-picked to have his harmful views confirmed, and when he is willing to push back on topics he doesn't agree with. Of course, he's going to say he's not trying to spread misinformation because he thinks he's sharing important facts that are being deliberately suppressed. But even that is not always the case. Sometimes it does seem intentional. In a recent episode, after all this non-pology stuff, it appears... To no one's surprise at all that Joe Rogan is, in fact, back on his bullshit and spreading disinformation about mandates and vaccine passports in Quebec, claiming that you cannot even get groceries there if you are not vaccinated. And he's doing this during this extremely volatile time where the anti-vax trucker convoy bullshit is causing so much chaos in the country. Rogan claims to want to make sure this is true and proceeds to look it up and read from a paragraph in an article that he pulls up on screen and then conveniently stops reading just before the part that says this mandate includes all businesses with surface areas of 1,500 square meters or more with the exception of groceries and pharmacies. He just stops and continues on with the story that unvaccinated people cannot even get groceries in Quebec. So yeah, sometimes he may genuinely believe in the nonsense he's spreading, but other times he seems to be omitting things more purposely. 
And I know some people are going to say, yeah, the only reason he's saying sorry is because his bosses are making him say sorry. Yeah, but bosses or not, guys, let's be honest. In this society we live in these days, who says I'm sorry and I made a mistake and I don't have all the answers. I'm just trying to do better. People don't say that anymore. Nobody admits to making mistakes anymore. You know, I was half expecting Joe Rogan to come and be like, uh, guys, my podcast was hacked. That wasn't me. But instead he owned up to it. I thought it was pretty dope. It was refreshing. Yeah, you do see a lot of celebrity non-apologies online, actually, when they're called out for bad takes. That's what the right has whipped up a whole cancel culture moral panic about. What's rare is a good, genuine-sounding apology that doesn't make excuses, and Rogan's certainly wasn't that. This isn't cancel culture. We already have a term for this. It is Rogan finally facing some consequences after years and years of being rewarded for mainstreamizing extremism and conspiracy theories. And you know what? He'll be absolutely fine after it, too. He's an incredibly wealthy man with a huge cult following who will go wherever he does, if he goes anywhere at all, that is. And now he will be even more heroic because he'll be a martyr. But my basic point is, of course he will scramble and apologize when his bosses pressure him or when he feels his very lucrative career is being threatened even a little bit. It's not even a good excuse, Trevor Noah. God damn. Moving on. Throughout this monologue, Trevor Noah shifts from... Now, here's what I'm not trying to defend Joe Rogan. ...to... In Joe Rogan's defense. Can't believe I'm saying that now. In Joe Rogan's defense, he does bring other people on. Again, in Joe Rogan's defense, I can't believe I've said this sentence so many times. Just a bunch of weak excuses and some very both sidesy vibes. And just to refresh everyone's memories and highlight how bad these apologetics from Noah and Stewart look, let's uh, listen to some clips and break down the original Rogan non-apology. I want to make this video, first of all, because I think there's a lot of people that have a distorted perception of what I do, maybe based on sound bites or based on headlines of articles that are disparaging. Yeah, totally. It's not Rogan that's in the wrong here. It's people who have a distorted perception right at the top of this so-called apology. This is how he starts. Not very dope and refreshing, huh? And I mean, he's still, still, after these multiple apologies, posting content to his Instagram that makes light of the pandemic, claiming on his podcast that this has been a hit job on him. That's not something someone says when something they really did comes to light, and when they truly regret their actions and have apologized for them sincerely. That's what someone who doesn't think he's being fairly criticized thinks. Um, the podcast has been accused of spreading dangerous misinformation, specifically about two episodes, a little bit about some other ones, but specifically about two, one with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and one with Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Peter McCullough is a cardiologist and he is the most published physician in his field in history. Dr. Robert Malone owns nine patents on the creation of mRNA vaccine technology and is at least partially responsible for the creation of the technology that led to mRNA vaccines. Both these 
people are very highly credentialed, very intelligent, very accomplished people, and they have an opinion that's different from the mainstream narrative. I wanted to hear what their opinion is. I had them on, and because of that, those episodes in particular, uh, those episodes were labeled as being dangerous. They had dangerous misinformation in them. Just look at how he's talking about his crank anti-vax guests here. He is still digging his heels in and presenting them as credible. Very intelligent people qualified to speak on the matter. So, so dangerous for him to be pushing these ideas even in his apology. And people are eating it up. Even some so-called critical thinkers, for fuck's sake. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months ago, if you said, if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID, you would be removed from social media. They would, they would ban you from certain platforms. Now, that's accepted as fact. If you said, I don't think cloth masks work, you would be banned from social media. Now, that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. Okay, so now there's more doubling down. Not, not really seeing a classy, dope, or refreshing apology at all here. And this is just nonsense, too. To his credit, this is one part Trevor Noah did call him out on, but... Yeah, this is nonsense. People were constantly discussing this stuff in the early days of the pandemic. There was so much discussion about the efficacy of vaccines and whether people were going to be able to spread COVID after being vaccinated and so much discussion around whether cloth masks are effective or not. What social media was roguing on? (laughs) This ridiculous point also reminded me of a similar big-brained take from Harris from when he was being sort of wishy-washy about whether Brett's misinformation should be removed from YouTube or not. I don't don't know what YouTube and Facebook and all of these companies should be doing. I mean, there's certainly a straightforward argument that they should be censoring what is obviously misinformation. But the problem here is that you know, many things that were wrong yesterday are considered good information today, right? I mean, it's like they're very unlikely to get censorship right. You know, what is outlier thinking and can be deemed dangerous or irresponsible can, in the fullness of time, prove to be the only correct view. So it's just a difficult problem that they show no sign of being able to solve. And, you know, Brett and everyone who's listening to him incredibly animated by their clumsy efforts at censorship because they can always point to the instance where what they censored was, you know, actually is, is now CDC policy, right? You know, like, you know, at one point CDC was was against mask wearing, right? And if you go, well, you're going to censor the people who said we should have been wearing masks a year ago? It was just obvious we should have been wearing masks. I tell you, these guys are often reading from the same script a script of disingenuousness that Dave Rubin wrote in the early days. (laughs) When the fuck was anyone banned for suggesting masks? This is simply untrue fear-mongering, much like Rogan's. There was a very specific reason why masks were being discouraged in the early pandemic days, and that was because healthcare workers were experiencing a shortage and people were hoarding them, and we didn't know what kind of virus we were dealing with, and there was much confusion and much less information all around. That was the reason. 
That's why they were coming up with all kinds of excuses to tell people that hoarding masks wasn't a good idea and that they didn't need them. And I agree that it wasn't carried out in an honest way and it would have been much better to just be straight up rather than come up with excuses for why people don't need masks. But the idea that anyone could be banned from social media for suggesting mask wearing is ludicrous. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Then stop having people on whose information you're not able to understand or gauge. He's just doing his I'm a little comedian podcaster act here again because he absolutely endorses them and acts as if they're absolutely correct. He asks them leading questions to get specific answers that he wants to hear, and he specifically sought these people out. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely, I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. Of course, what could be a better indication of someone being interested in telling the truth than someone who's had on Alex Jones multiple times? He doesn't try to correct anything, even when he's asking his assistant to look things up, even when he's being corrected, as we heard in the clip with Zeps, he's pushing back and not correcting. His podcasts are full of dangerous bullshit, and him digging his heels into various idiotic points is a hallmark of his show and style. Here's a clip of Rogan talking to a primatologist who called in, someone with a PhD, a woman, and this is their conversation about how he believed there was a species of giant chimpanzees over six feet tall, which was of course not true and debunked long before this clip happened, but yeah, listen. There's some crazy shit that they haven't even discovered yet. You know, just recently they found a new species of chimpanzee in the Congo. A gigantic chimpanzee that's over six feet tall. It's called the Bondo Ape. The locals have two different names for chimpanzees. They have what they call the tree beaters and the lion killers. And the lion killers are these gigantic chimpanzees. They're like six feet tall. They get to be like 400 pounds. They sleep on the ground. Because they don't give a fuck. They don't have to sleep in trees. You know, people like your building, like when you, we, 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 we all come from chimpanzees, obviously. When, and we people, we always have our master bedroom upstairs. And that's from our chimpanzee heritage. That's what that's from. We, we stay upstairs to protect ourselves. Just ground, like, yeah. yeah, just like chimps do. They sleep in trees to protect themselves from predators. These other chimps are so badass, they nest on the ground. Allison from Florida is going to challenge you. Allison, go ahead. Yeah, I'm a primatologist. There's no such thing as a, as a Bondo ape. You're a fucking idiot. Go online and look it up. You're a what? What do you do? It's a new discovery. You're a primatologist. Well, look it up. You're not current. Pay attention. Go online and look it up. Um, yeah, this is student. Yeah, you've learned some shit from the call. When did you graduate? I have PhD. When did you graduate? When? From 2000. Yeah, when was the last time you got online and researched primates? Have you ever looked <laughs> at any of the new discoveries? <laughs> Oh, you just have a PhD in the subject. When was the last time you got online and researched primates, though, huh? <laughs> yeah, I've been asking. What are you laughing at? Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I'll tell you why you're laughing, because you don't have a point. Who wouldn't laugh, Joe? So you try to, oh, you're ridiculous. That's rid- I have a PhD. Meanwhile, there's all sorts of photographs of this, this primate, this gigantic chimpanzee. Not only that, it's on National Geographic, stupid. NationalGeographic.com. CNN.com, stupid. No, 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 no. There's bones. There's tissue samples. There's hair. There's fecal matter. There's all sorts of different things. Now, they've mapped the DNA of this animal already. 
that he decided to mock the fact that she has a vagina. Huh. Certainly doesn't have anything to do with the sexism and misogyny on display in many of his episodes. He's just an extremely calm and collected guy, an inquiring mind. Not, in my mind, an ideologue in any way. Just in search of the truth. Not, in my mind, an ideologue in any way. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. But instead he owned up to it. I thought it was pretty dope. It was refreshing. I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in telling the truth. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. Yeah, like, you know, racists, extremists, conspiracy theorists, sexists, transphobes, pedophile apologists, people who coerce women into sex, and the occasional regular person. Um, I'm not interested in only talking to people that uh, have one perspective. That's one of the reasons why I had Sanjay Gupta on, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who I respect very much, and I really enjoyed our conversation together. He has a different opinion than those men do. If you watch the conversations with the anti-vax guests and the one with Sanjay Gupta, it would be hard to miss the difference in tone in both of those. It's like the difference in passion you hear when Sam Harris talks about Islamic extremism, which is everywhere and super scary, versus when he talks about Western far-right extremism, which is barely anywhere and extremely fringe of the fringe. Super weaselly of Rogan to frame this as him just talking to all sides equally in search of the truth, with no bias or preference between one 
or the other. One of the things that Spotify wants to do that I agree with is that at the beginning of these controversial podcasts, like specifically ones about COVID, is to put a disclaimer and say that you should speak with your physician and that these people and the opinions that they express are contrary to the opinions of uh, the consensus of experts, which I think is very important. Sure, have that on there. I'm very happy with that. Yeah, you're happy now because you're being pressured into it. And let's take a moment to ponder just how silly it is to think putting a disclaimer on information that can get people killed in this pandemic is some sort of a solution. Sorry, but you can't make anti-vax info any better by slapping a label on it. The people that fall for it in the first place will not be taking those disclaimers seriously. Similarly, if you're being friendly with an extremist like Gavin McInnes on air or letting another extremist discuss his view that people of color have a genetic proclivity for violence, slapping a disclaimer on that won't make it any better either. It's a hollow performative gesture. Um, Also, I think uh, if there's anything that I've done that I could do better is uh, have more experts with differing opinions right after I have the controversial ones. Uh, I would most certainly be open to doing that. Similarly, having non-anti-vaxxers on after anti-vaxxers is not going to change the fact that the harmful misinformation has already been distributed to millions of people around the world. You simply cannot both sides medical misinformation during a global pandemic. Again, I'm not trying to promote misinformation. I'm not trying to be controversial. I've never tried to do anything with this podcast other than just talk to people and have interesting conversations. Please, how are people buying this? From the guy whose guest list is a who's who of bigots and extremists. I'm not trying to be controversial. I just happen to invite a lot of controversial people on specifically because of how controversial they are. Yeah, that sounds sincere. Hey there! Sorry to interrupt the episode. No, don't worry, I'm not here to plug an ad for mattresses or razors or underwear or anything like that. I just wanted to ask that if you do enjoy this type of content and like a thorough debunking of a variety of awful people and want to support smaller independent creators, maybe you could consider supporting this show. Because without listeners like you supporting it, it doesn't grow, unfortunately. And then I have less time and resources to dedicate to each episode. Imagine all the things I could do with your help. So if you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes, no eaten mangoes, and sign up today. And then you'll have access to early episode releases, patron chats and AMAs, and occasional art giveaways too. Aside from Patreon, you can support this show by sharing it on social media or by leaving iTunes reviews. And now, I will let you get back to listening. Then, of course, there was the N-word apology that Rogan put out after his misinformation apology. Boy, it's been a hell of a few days for Joe. That, too, was as weaselly and dishonest as ever. But what I found amusing is that he has felt pressured enough to issue an apology that addresses things the IDW has mocked relentlessly in the past. 
Things like, hey, it's never okay for a white person or a non-black person to say the N-word. It is just too loaded. There isn't a context where that's necessary, especially when you can just say the N-word. Sam Harris and Josh Zepps are going to be so disappointed that Rogan capitulated to the woke narrative. Or maybe it'll be spun as him being forced to do this poor guy because the woke mob came after him. It was in conversation with Joe and Sam, remember, that Josh Zepps declared his brave stance on never censoring himself saying the N-word. And Sam, too, has complained on several occasions about how silly it is that this string of syllables becomes magically offensive, a.k.a. Voldemort. For them, it's a simple and clear distinction between use versus mention. If you aren't directly hurling the slur at someone and just mentioning it, then it's fine. When, uh, no, it really isn't. And it's not their place to decide to not censor themselves or to reclaim it or whatever. I once had an in-depth conversation with a linguist on the linguistics of slurs and how the IDW and heterodox types talk about slurs. If you're interested in that topic, I will link it in the show notes so you can check that episode out too. Anyway, back to Rogan. So he starts off talking about how shameful it is and I just know that is going to piss off the heterodox sphere so much, which is pretty funny. I'm making this video to talk about the most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. There's a video that's out that's a compilation of me saying the N-word. But then, oh, it doesn't take long to get into excuse making again. 21 seconds into it, he says this. It's a video that's made of clips taken out of context of me of 12 years of conversations on my podcast, and it's all smushed together, and it looks fucking horrible, even to me. We've already discussed what a typical excuse that is in IDW circles. When you can't justify something, you can always rely on the good old out-of-context trick. But it's a real roller coaster, and I bet especially for his fans, who most certainly do not want him to apologize for this kind of thing. Because right after that, he says... Now, I know that to most people, there's no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that word, never mind publicly on a podcast. And I agree with that now. I haven't said it in years. (laughs) Imagine being the kind of person that can even say, oh, you know what, I haven't said this racial slur in years. But even that sounds vague, non-committal. Like, how many years are we talking? Decades? Or like when Trump was just president? Because another clip has surfaced from around 2017, which, to be honest, isn't that many years ago where he complains about society shifting towards not saying the full N-word in any context. He encourages the guest to say it and clearly finds it very enjoyable when he does. Like many heterodox IDW types, he lumps the N-word in with other derogatory terms for different ethnicities, comparing how other groups don't mind it as much. Like many of the IDW do, to make their foolish points work, he completely strips it of all 
historical context and seems to not understand why this particular slur carries more baggage. The ignorance and arrogance is mind-blowing. As I go through these clips, his apology just seems less and less genuine because his change of heart or views hasn't really been demonstrated in any natural-seeming way. In this situation, where he's suddenly caught and being heavily criticized for it, that's when he seems to have a 180-degree change in perspective. People have been pointing this shit out about Rogan for years. It just wasn't big enough for him to care, and he wasn't accountable to anyone, really, before Spotify. So his audience just grew with more racism and sexism and bigotry. Anyway, they say a bunch of awful terms and slurs in this one. So just letting you know in advance. I remember that story because I remember you you being like stunned at someone yelling out the N-word. How long is it going to be before you're not allowed to say the N-word? Like the N-word, just that that phrase. Right, the The phrase describing the word. How long before people think that's just as bad as saying the word itself? Because it's coming. It's coming just like hoop earrings and braids and dreadlocks are getting people in trouble. Yeah. People will run out of things to get mad at, and they will go after people for saying the N-word. Right. You shouldn't even acknowledge it. We need to get it out of our vernacular completely. Yeah. By acknowledging it, you're not helping. What a fucking weird time. I only just started saying the N-word. I used to say the N-word on my radio show. I would just say it. Why'd you stop saying it? Don't you think that by not saying it, it becomes like this ridiculously charged magic word? You're not a racist. Like, why are words magic? Aren't words supposed to be sounds that you make that convey intent? Yeah. Intent or description? Both. Well, that's the difference. You can use the N-word or you can say the N-word. Right. Well, you're, you're conveying intent. Your intent is to describe a scenario where someone said something in a very particular way that showed racism. Yeah. Right? That's your intent. When you say the N-word, you're saying, like, it cannot be speak. It cannot be uttered. It is a sacred word. Yeah. It is a magic word. If you say it, Candyman will come. Right. You know, it's like, it's very weird. It's very weird that we've ever allowed that. It's one thing, like, you could say spick. No one's going to get mad. Mm. You know? Like, it's not, as, it's not as racially charged. You know? Yeah. And then, and then there's other ones that, like, you can just get away with all day. Like Irish ones or oh, yeah. Italian ones. or Guido or... They don't give a fuck. Yeah. You can call me a Guido all day. I don't give a fuck. No one cares. Shank no one is a tough one. They get very Shank's, upset about Shank's Shank. rough. Yeah. Gook. How about Gook? Oh, that's a rough one. Oh, that's a really rough one. Yeah, but the N-word, you won't say it. Look. Look at you. Say it. Nigger. <laughs> It's a charged Nothing word. Happened. See, but it, if you say someone, if you, you're saying that you're at the club and someone yells out, it was probably a nigga. Yeah. Which is probably exactly what they said. That, that's not, you're not racist. You're not being yeah. racist. But by saying, he yells out, it was probably an N-word. Yeah. Like, you're putting all this weight on that word. Right, right, right. And you're not using it in any way, shape, or form. You personally are not using it to promote racism. Mm. You're doing the opposite. 
And also, the crazy thing is that some people can. Yeah. Some can, some can't. Latino, yeah. they can say it. They can still say it. Even like uh, you see Middle Eastern kids that grow up in the hood, they say it. Mm, yeah, as long as you seem to be in some sort of a marginalized group. Yeah. I've seen a lot of Chinese people use it. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. And then, like, We're Chinese like people are really into... Yep. People are really into hip-hop. Yeah. You know? They'll use it. And they use it with the A on the end of it. Yeah. <clears throat> but black people just throw it around like a beach ball at a concert. Well, my son likes rap, and I go... Mm. And he sings it. Mm. And I go, what do you do when you hit the N-word? He goes, I just say player. <laughs> That's what his friends do. They say player. <laughs> Ugh, so awful. So awful. I I could honestly spend a whole podcast episode just unpacking the assholery within that clip. But anyway, moving on to his current N-word apology. But for a long time, when I would bring that word up, like if it would come up in conversation, instead of saying the N-word, I would just say the word. I thought as long as it was in context, people would understand what I was doing. Like that context was part of the clip we were talking about Red Fox, how Red Fox said that word on television in the 1970s, and how times have changed so much since then, or about how Richard Pryor used it as one of the titles of one of his albums, or I was quoting a Lenny Bruce bit, or I was quoting a Paul Mooney bit, or a... I was talking about how Quentin Tarantino used it repeatedly in Pulp Fiction, or I was talking about how a Netflix executive, ironically, used it because he was trying to compare it to another offensive word, and he said it out loud, and they fired him. Not calling anybody or just saying the word out loud. Now, after he said there's no context in which it's okay, he goes on to give a list of these contexts that are supposed to sound more reasonable and justifiable to us, I guess. So to me, it just comes off, once again, as very disingenuous and contradicting his earlier statement of there being no context that it's okay in. And he still seems kind of surprised at the fact that a Netflix executive was fired for saying the N-word. I mean, that is not a workplace-appropriate word at all. It's, it's not hard to understand that that could happen. Next, there's more disappointment for Rogan fans, and Sam is probably sobbing into his pillow by this point. I was also talking about how there's not another word like it in the entire English language because it's a word where only one group of people is allowed to use it and they can use it in so many different ways. Like if a white person says that word, it's racist and toxic, but a black person can use it and it could be a punchline, it could be a term of endearment, it could be lyrics to a rap song, it could be a positive affirmation. It's a very unusual word. But it's not my word to use. I'm well aware of that now. Then, there's some more excuses. I never use it to be racist because I'm not racist. The thing is, you don't decide whether you're racist or not, Joe. These guys all think racism is something intentional and obvious and comes with a bright label or KKK hood. They refuse to engage with the idea that racism is a spectrum. 
and the more normalized everyday racism can weigh down on people more than extreme KKK types of racism because that is what goes undetected. That is what flourishes and thrives in every corner of society. People can easily spot KKK racism and reject it. Even Tucker Carlson or Katie Hopkins would not associate with that. Openly, at least. But when it comes in a less obvious form, people tend to deny or gaslight about it, and that gets exhausting. So if Joe Rogan is the kind of guy that enjoys having friendly conversations with racists time and time again, enjoys letting them put their racist shit on his platform, often unchecked, enjoys nodding along with them, and if he's the kind of guy that has to clarify that, hey, he hasn't uttered the N-word for so many years now because there was an entire compilation of him doing so circulating on the internet. And if that is disappointing to his fans, then perhaps he should reflect on the idea that racism comes in many different forms. If he is truly sorry, he would engage with how his actions could be hurtful and racist, rather than make excuses about them being taken out of context and how he's extremely not racist. So pardon me for not thinking his apology is sincere or genuine. I have just watched him do and say this kind of shit for so long. There is so much wrong with Joe Rogan's content, and so many of us have been hoping that more people would pay attention for years. I guess that has happened recently because of the urgency of anti-vax misinformation, and that's great. Whatever got people to look more closely. There is plenty more, too. Clips that haven't yet circulated. Just endless, endless amounts of bigotry. And just how much more there is, is why I am troubled by people only focusing or caring about anti-vax misinformation. That is certainly very important, as I've already stressed. But it cannot be your only lens to see whether things are harmful or not. Otherwise, you're going to miss a whole lot, especially in the IDW sphere. Well... Gosh, Rogan and his disingenuous apologies have been an annoying subject matter to cover, but it has also been a nice change to not have to focus on Sam Harris really at all for this episode. Very nice indeed to have a break from that. So that's me signing off, and I'll see you next Breaking news, live from the battle of ideas, this Justin. Serial racism denier denies that Joe Rogan could be racist. What's that now? Oh, fuck. It seems that while I've been working on this and recording this, Harris has just released a very relevant and so-so beyond awful that it's hard to ignore little mini-episode on Rogan's N-word apology. (laughs) And I mean, like, comically terrible. So, I guess I better sit the fuck back down and cover the Harris part of this topic. No. And to think, I almost got through this episode without needing to look too deeply into that slime pit for a change. 
I wonder what he's saying about this N-word apology. Can't wait to hear it. How disappointed will he be in Rogan for apologizing at all? And how much will he blame the woke mob for this? Let's dive back in and find out. Based on his years of doing just this, having long and searching conversations with an incredibly diverse range of guests, and letting his curiosity be his guide. Yes, true, true. Searching conversations. Always searching for bigotry. Incredibly diverse range of bigots. Yep. Nor does being a comedian always provide an alibi for getting your facts wrong. Hey, look, even Harris can see through the I'm just a widow innocent comedian act. (laughs) Finally, we agree on something. Let's see how long that lasts. So I was very glad to see Joe pivot last week and acknowledge that on the topic of public health, he could and should be more rigorous and careful in the future. Well, not long, unsurprisingly. Yeah, sure doesn't take much for extremely non-tribal Harris to be impressed by his anti-woke friends, even if they are anti-vax. What are you giving him credit for? He was obviously pressured into pivoting, and he still pushed these anti-vaxxers as highly qualified people. I'm sorry, but this is just a really, really low bar from such a rational pro-science man, Sam Harris. Joe didn't even commit to not having anti-vaxxers on. He just said he would balance it out with deferring views right after. Sam has been actually okay on vaccines, so really he should not be praising this minimal effort. I thought Joe's Instagram video, promising to do things differently, was about as good as it could have been. He wasn't defensive. He didn't double down on any mistakes. Yeah, he did, when he still presented his hand-picked anti-vax quote-unquote experts as highly qualified. What else was that? In the second apology, Joe made it clear that in none of those instances was he using the word as a racist slur. Rather, he was talking about the word itself, about its use in comedy, and about its magically destructive properties. Oh, here we go. Anyone who knows him, and you don't have to know him personally, you can just be a fan of his podcast, because what you see there really is Joe. Anyone who has spent dozens of hours listening to Joe's podcast knows to a moral certainty that Joe is not racist. And there really is nothing more that needs to be said on that point. (laughs) What? What? There is simply no workable definition of racism that includes Joe Rogan. Workable definition. Workable for Sam, that is. And insofar as there is an enduring problem of racism in our society, people like Joe are not a symptom of it. Rather, they're the cure. People like Joe are not a symptom of it. Rather, they're the cure. Rather, they're the cure. Hold up, hold up. That is a mega galaxy brain take I most certainly did not expect. (laughs) Some real clown shit. Not only is Joe Rogan not racist, but Sammy is going to take it to the next level because why wouldn't he? Joe Rogan is the cure for racism. (laughs) 
actually unfucking believable. Joe is an extremely ethical person. And he has an extraordinarily large and diverse set of friends and social contacts. It would be hard to imagine someone less likely to actually care about the race of another human being than Joe. So if Joe Rogan is your version of a racist, you have reached a moral and political dead end. Well, the racism understander sure has logged the fuck on, eh? If you think his buddy who mainstreamizes white nationalists and repeatedly uses slurs refers to a black neighborhood as the planet of the apes, if you think that guy's racist, well, you're just morally deficient. What's more, I think Joe actually went too far in his apology about using the N-word. What? <laughs> oh my god, I... Fucking predicted this part. I'm only adding this bit at the end and I have not messed with my earlier part, so my guess that Sam would be upset by Rogan's apology is completely real. It is not scripted or planned. That is just what I genuinely had before Sam's N-word apology episode came out. He is so predictable. But like, I, I knew he'd think it, but I, I didn't think he'd actually say this. <laughs> Incredible. Such an ignorant yet confident man. Funnily enough, I have had my mentions on Twitter filled with angry right-wing Sam Harris fans arguing about how extremely on the left and progressive he is all day because of an article I wrote. So yeah, thanks Sam for dropping this on the same day to prove my fucking point. When it comes to race and racism, I think there are Republicans that are way to the left of Sam on the topic. <laughs> I cannot believe Mr. White Guy with a terrible track record on judging what is and isn't racist is actually putting himself on air saying that he thinks Joe Rogan went too far with his N-word apology. It's totally understandable that he did because he's been taking a tremendous amount of fire. Even the White House came after him this week. It's been completely crazy. So I understand why he felt the need to disavow his prior use of the word entirely. So the White House did not come after him. That is just nonsense. The press secretary said regarding the suggestion of putting disclaimers on Rogan's podcast that, quote, it's a positive step, but there's more that can be done to inform users, end quote. This is not coming after him. And the fact that he sticks it into the part about the N-word apology totally makes it sound like they came after him for the N-word compilation. Just, you know, throwing some red meat to his followers. Ooh, the government is coming after white people who even mention the N-word. It sounds so scary. It's, it's like 1984. <laughs> and I guess with the part where he's justifying Rogan's total disavowal, even though he disagrees with it, it's just to comfort himself and, and their mutual fans who must genuinely be upset about Rogan doing such a thing. But let me take a moment to spell out why I think that's a mistake. There is simply no question that American hysteria 
around the use of the N-word is pathological and dishonest and destructive of people's integrity and an offense to basic sanity. Sam Harris, who doesn't know the first thing about racism, is here to lecture people who are personally impacted by it on how they should stop being so hysterical about the use of racial slurs. The absolute nerve. This mental gymnastics is an offense to basic sanity, actually. The idea that a white person cannot say the N-word for any reason when discussing its use, when reading Huckleberry Finn out loud, when dissecting public controversies of the sort that I'm discussing now, is completely insane. To hold this view is to attribute magical properties to words. It's the very essence of a childish relationship to language. Yeah, because Joe Rogan was simply reading Huckleberry Finn all those times. Unreal that given the historical context within his own country, he is bold enough to publicly minimize it this way. But you know what might be more childish, Sam? It's the insistence that white people need to be able to say slurs and that you just can't take that away from them, otherwise they'll have a tantrum. My apologies to the white people that don't act like this, but boy, Sam is embarrassing. And also, if he has such strong feelings about this topic and he's so frustrated that white people can't even use the word when dissecting public controversies like this one, and do note that he has had absolutely no trouble dissecting this situation without it. But yeah, if he's so upset by this and so principled and intellectually honest and consistent, doesn't he stand up for what he believes in and actually use the word while discussing Rogan? Huh. I wonder why. Is is he attributing magical properties to the word? And it makes a mockery of the very real social problem of racism. You see how he switches between denying specific instances of racism using the n-word and anything Rogan does, etc. But then he wants to not appear too detached from reality, so he throws in an acknowledgement of racism in the general vague sense. I'm a serious person, of course. I know racism is real. And Joe Rogan is the cure. (laughs) And also, if you don't let white people say slurs, you are mocking racism, the real racism. The thing I deny or acknowledge, depending on whatever suits me at the time. Go on, Sam. Tell us more about the very real social problem of racism. That is, bigotry as applied through the lens of race. And leaving aside the question of systemic racism, because there's a lot to debate about the scope of that problem today. Wah, wah, wah. Leave that big, huge bit aside. Right, right. So so he did not want to tell us anything about the very real social problem of racism other than whatever he can use to shrink the definition as much as possible. As I've said before on this podcast, I think it's safe to assume that there is almost no desirable place to work or study or mingle in American society today, in academia, in film, 
or television or journalism or tech, you could literally take the highest status 20% of every corner of our culture. There is almost no place, and perhaps there is no actual place at all, where being a person of color isn't a positive advantage for gaining entry in the year 2022. Of course, this excludes Asians, who are now white adjacent. This is just delusional, completely detached from reality. Is he really saying that people of color have an advantage everywhere now? <laughs> like, how does he just say this stuff in public? How does anyone still respect him? This is disinformation in action. And this concern trolling about Asians is just such a classically far-right talking point, similar to how they love to use women's rights in the Middle East as a way to undermine feminism in the West. They don't actually care about women in the Middle East. The racism of which Joe Rogan has been accused is real racism, psychological racism. He likes white people better than black people, racism. When we're talking about a person using the N-word to convey his racism, or using it in such a way as to reveal his racism, whether he meant to or not, then everything depends on the beliefs and intentions of the speaker. Here we go again with the real racism bullshit. For Sam, real racism is the obvious, intentional kind. KKK with a white hood kind. Everything else is not real racism. If they don't think to themselves, hey, I'm a racist and I am going to do racist things today, then it can't be racist in Sam's narrow definition, a definition that conveniently excludes him and his friends. To know if a person is racist, we have to know what he thinks and feels about other human beings. Most importantly, we have to know what sort of world he wants to live in. To allege that a person is racist is of necessity to claim that he cares about the variable of race in ways that he shouldn't, that he prefers certain groups of people for reasons that he shouldn't, that he takes pride in things he shouldn't, and that he has contempt, or at least disregard, for certain people based purely on the color of their skin or some other superficial racial characteristic. Real racists don't want people of other races to truly succeed. And they feel more or less compassion for the suffering of other human beings based primarily on their racial identities. This is why the some of my best friends are black calumny is so silly and destructive. Not this some of my best friends are black thing again. Such utter bullshit. This is him trying to very carefully create all these barriers you need to cross before you can say someone is racist. Obviously, in service of him and his pals, you can of course think someone is racist without knowing their deepest inner thoughts and what kind of world they want to live in, what their hopes and dreams are. You can find someone racist for their actions or words or views. You don't need their whole life story and a brain scan to know whether they are truly racist or not. Real racists 
come in many forms, actually, and some of them do have black friends. I covered this Some of My Best Friends Are topic in Woking Up Episode 1 in a lot more depth if you want to check that out. I'll link that in the show notes, too. Real racists can be racist without even realizing it. They can be racist unintentionally, and they can be racist because they hold certain views not so consciously. But yet, it still reflects how you behave towards certain people. Real racists can absolutely prefer certain groups based on racial characteristics without even realizing it. It is not always as deliberate and easy to spot as someone carrying a tiki torch and consciously wanting to live in an ethnostate. Sam Harris is putting some dangerous ideas out into the world that can only have a radicalizing effect on impressionable minds that buy his BS. While I've been working on this episode, Trevor Noah has also, in fact, released some more comments on Rogan's N-word apology that, to his credit this time around, have been pretty good. Though I can't find anything on whether he commented on his previous thoughts calling Rogan's COVID misinformation-related apology classy, dope, and refreshing. For me, it would have felt more complete if Noah addressed that, and whether he still thought it was as genuine in light of becoming more familiar with Rogan's brand of hackery since then. But anyway, I will let Trevor Noah explain more about whether Rogan is a real racist or not. A few issues with this part of the video. First of all, he says he would never say black people are apes, but he said that. That's literally what he said. If you said you walked into a black place and it was Planet of the Apes, then you've said that. You've said You can't be like, oh, no, I didn't say it. You did say it, which is racist, right? And it's not just racist. Like, let's, let's be honest about it. It's not just racist. That's like OG racism. That's like, like the original old school. Ra- like, that's on the Mount Rushmore of racism, you know? Black people are apes. It's right next to burning crosses and then, like, every Bugs Bunny cartoon from the 1940s. What I found particularly illuminating is, is, is when he says... I wasn't being racist, I was just being entertaining. No, Joe, I think you were using racism to be entertaining. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying you were trying to offend black people, by the way, but you knew that offending black people would get a laugh out of those white friends that you were with. Yeah, but I am a comedian, and I love making jokes, and I love hearing jokes, and I love, I love all kinds of jokes, right? I love safe jokes, I like dark jokes, I like jokes, but just because something is a joke doesn't mean it can't be something else as well, because a joke can be racist. And here's what Joe Rogan said about his joke when he said it. We walked into Planet of the Apes. We walked into Africa, dude. We, we, we walked in the door, and there was no white people. There was no white people. We, Planet of the Apes didn't take place in Africa. That was a racist thing for me to say. Yeah, exactly. It is a racist thing for you to say. You're saying it's racist, but then in the video, you're going to be like, oh, it wasn't racist. Joe Rogan said a racist thing, and then immediately acknowledged that it was racist. Literally, when he said it, he said it, and then he's like, well, that was racist. And then now he's like, I never, never say racist. Like, you know, this whole thing makes me go like, why are people so adamant that it wasn't racist? As I said before, you cannot separate the constant saying of racist things and using slurs and being excited to be able to create situations where you can utter it just for the thrill from being a racist, especially not when that is part of your brand. 
Anyway, back to Sam's incredible, incredible mental gymnastics. He's trying extra hard with this one, guys, because, you know, the Winter Olympics are happening. So what if mental gymnastics is not a sport yet? Sam would get a gold medal every time. If a person is white and some of his best friends are black, I don't care what jokes he laughs at. He is not a racist in any way that society should worry about. <laughs> of course, you don't care what jokes he laughs at, Sam. You race and IQ fan, you. Laughing at jokes is minimal compared to the kinds of things Sam Harris excuses on the regular. People that listen to my miniseries, Woking Up, will be very familiar with that. <laughs> What's really classic here is that slimy little bit at the end there. Not a racist in any way that society should be worried about. So if you press him on it, he has a little built-in wiggle room. I didn't say that made you not a racist. I said that made you not a racist in any way that society should worry about. I'm sorry, but Sam does not decide what type of racists society should worry about, thankfully. Also, what type of racist exactly is that? Where they are racist, but society just doesn't need to worry about them for some reason. He never quite explains that. And if you doubt that, there is something you don't understand about what it means to have good friends. You see, the problem is once again with the pesky people who insist on worrying about all types of racists, rather than the ones Sam says it's okay to worry about. So, using the N-word as a racial slur is completely different from using it in some other way. And if you insist that the word itself is magically destructive, like Voldemort in the Harry Potter novels. <laughs> As I said, he's so goddamn predictable. I mentioned that Voldemort bit uh, just earlier in this episode, didn't I? I'll let Trevor Noah field that one, too. Maybe you're in a Quentin Tarantino movie, and you have to use the N-word, because if you don't, then the movie has no dialogue. But, but, for the most part, as a white person, you never need to use the N-word. It's not like need. For example, I've gone this entire story saying the N-word, and everyone has understood exactly what I've meant, right? Nobody's sitting at home going, Nutella? Neanderthal? Nelly Furtado? Why is Trevor being so vague? What is the word? In fact, here's a, here's a life hack for white people. Saying the actual N-word puts you in unnecessary trouble, especially if you're not racist. It doesn't matter the context, because black people don't have the time to sit down and sort out the racist who says the N-word 70 times with the non-racist who says the N-word 70 times. Black people are dealing with too much shit. No, no, look, look at how I was using it. No, dude, no one's got the time for that. Just stop saying it, or just be racist. It's easier for everyone that way. Honestly, why do these guys choose this hill? Really should make you think. Most of the time, there's just no need to say it. And if somehow there's a weird, rare situation that it absolutely needs to be uttered, that's just not even something we need to spend forever debating because that will rarely happen. If you're a professor reading an old book out in class, maybe your students don't want to hear you say it, even if you're not hurling it at someone. If you're quoting someone, especially on a large platform, it's probably best to just avoid saying it yourself. 
If you insist upon treating its use by a person of the wrong skin color, in any context, for any purpose, as some kind of diabolical incantation. Uh, how many purposes does this slur have? Why the fuck is he so reluctant to let go of it? Holy shit, just let it go, man. I'll tell you what they treat as some sort of magically destructive, diabolical incantation, even when used accurately and against the most popular podcaster on earth, massively wealthy and powerful guy. It's the word racism. Don't you dare call anyone racist, no matter what they do. You're destroying people's lives. Oh, and also right-wing is one of those terms. It is amazing how many of these IDW types and their fans resist that characterization. Again, it takes me back to the original grifter of this space, Ruben, and how he once used to threaten to sue journalists who dared identify him correctly as right-wing. These are diabolical incantations to these fools. This is what a childish fucking relationship to language looks like. We are mired in a culture that appears totally unable to even identify, much less solve, real problems. Because it has grown hysterical over imaginary ones. The confidence this dirtbag has to lecture people about a historically loaded racial slur and how the people it targets should not be hysterical over this problem because it is imaginary. (laughs) I mean, if Sam doesn't see the problem, it's not real, of course. He's not hysterical over white people losing the ability to say the (laughs) N-word. So much projection in this. There were other things that Joe apologized for in the second video. Things which it sounds like he should have apologized for. These were things he said as a comedian that now sound bad even in context. He told jokes in the past that he wouldn't tell today. It's only decent to notice, however, that literally everyone, not just comedians, everyone is in this spot because the norms have shifted massively. You simply can't judge comedy or any other cultural product from 10 years ago by the sensitivities of today. It's just not fair to, because it doesn't give an accurate picture of a person's state of mind, then or now. And most important, if you watch Joe's recent video, there is no question that he offered a complete apology for things he genuinely regrets saying. What more could we expect a well-intentioned person to do? So I guess this is Sam's vague way of addressing the even more indefensible bit where Rogan clearly refers to black people as apes and even acknowledges himself that it was a racist thing to say. Sam certainly doesn't get into detail about that one because how can you then justify it? Oh, well, I'm sure he'd find a way, actually. And look, I I do understand that norms shift on these things, but we're not talking about Rogan in the 80s or 90s or something. We're talking about as late as 2017 that I've seen. 
And I don't think norms have shifted all that much since then. We've clearly heard him have conversations about not wanting to lose the ability to say the word. He was well aware of it not being acceptable. So let's not act like it's from so long ago that it was a completely different world. And we've talked about how it was, in fact, not such a well-intentioned apology because Rogan basically lies and makes excuses once again. Says he would never call black people apes when he does. Says he wouldn't use racism for entertainment when he does. So I'd say you could expect a lot more from a well-intentioned person. I've noticed two reactions to Joe's most recent video, both of which seem like moral errors to me. First, there were people who smell blood in the water and who are now calling for Joe's annihilation with even greater fervor. These are people on the left for whom no apology would ever be sufficient. Oh, I'm pretty sure a more sincere apology that isn't completely self-contradicting would go much further than these two non-apologies. And perhaps some actual demonstrated change in behavior instead of playing the victim and calling it a hit job or retweeting incorrect stories about ivermectin. And what Sam means by annihilation is that Joe has finally received some pushback for some pretty awful things that he got away with forever. And Sam would rather his friend didn't get criticized for those things at all. Why can't you just keep letting my rich white guy friend keep saying whatever he wants whenever he wants? Stop being so hysterical. Though ironically, these same people love redemption stories about murderers and rapists provided they have the correct skin color. Find me a black man who has shot a cop and then apologized for it, or in some cases, hasn't apologized for it, and I'll show you vast numbers of people on the left who are eager to see him brought back into the fold and even canonized as some kind of saint. But find a white guy who told a bad joke in 2007, and these same people will want to see him destroyed for it. Wow, I mean, this is so fucked up. This is like something that would sound extreme, I think, coming out of Richard Spencer's mouth, because I wouldn't even expect him to be so blatant. It is beyond gross. Just take a minute to think about what he said there. He really fucking said that the left, vast numbers of people on the left prefer black rapists and murderers to a poor, whittle, innocent white guy who once told a bad joke in 2007. This is the same guy who was just lecturing people to not be hysterical over racial slurs. This fucking guy is hysterical as fuck, if you ask me. He has created this whole victim narrative where white men are so viciously targeted that they are living in fear constantly. Meanwhile, racism is barely even a thing anymore and people of color have all the advantages and black people are just bullying white people into not saying the N-word when it's so necessary to their existence. I mean... 
this is something I'd expect to see in some racist incel manifesto. This is like next level awful. This man is putting out such dangerous things on his platform. I don't know when enough people realize it. I am trying here, but really too many people still consider this guy some sort of rational, level-headed, objective person. It's like he saw Rogan getting a lot of heat for being racist, and he was like, hey, bro, hold my calibers. Let me help you out here by distracting people. Then he goes on to talk about the QAnon right and describes them as... And then, of course, had the responses from the right, or the alt-right, or the QAnon adjacent, or the... I don't know what to call it, politically. The I'm way too online and wokeness is the only problem I can keep track of response. I'm way too online and wokeness is the only problem I can keep track of. I'm way too online and wokeness is the only problem I can keep track of. And I'm thinking, Sam, you are describing yourself. (laughs) It is not just the QAnoners. And then he says... Which, in light of the left's reaction has declared that apologizing is always and everywhere a mistake. You can't give an inch to the woke mob. Otherwise, you're finished. So all you can do is stonewall and double down. From a purely PR point of view, these people aren't necessarily wrong. They're they're often right. In Joe's case, they probably are right. These people aren't necessarily wrong. They're, They're often right. In Joe's case, they probably are right. These people aren't necessarily wrong. They're they're often right. In Joe's case, they probably are right. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? They're they're right? (laughs) Okay, then. Nice to see you admit to being on the same page as the far right. We want to live in a world where people offer sincere apologies. And we want to live in a world where sincere apologies are generally accepted. This is born of the recognition that no one is perfect. Each of us is a work in progress. Everyone is growing. And forgiveness itself is one of our highest virtues. Forgiveness is a fucking miracle. And we want a culture that makes us better at both seeking it and bestowing it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I actually agree with that. Sincere apologies are great, and they should definitely be encouraged. But we're missing a very key ingredient in both of Rogan's so-called apologies, and that's sincerity. Just because Sam Harris is so blinded by his friendship and anti-left, quote-unquote, tribalism, doesn't mean you, dear listeners, shouldn't be able to see how Rogan's words are hollow and seem insincere. With everything I shared about him here, background and current information, hopefully you have more than enough to assess how sincere that apology was properly. I really didn't expect I'd be talking about Jon Stewart and Trevor Noah in an episode about these clowns, but here we are. (laughs) I hope they learn from their defenses of Rogan. Looks like Noah partially maybe has, but it would be nice to see him address the... I actually thought it was pretty classy. I thought it was pretty dope. It was refreshing. Jon Stewart, on the other hand, seems to be doubling down on the excuses and whataboutery. 
I don't know if it's because he's willingly turning a blind eye to all this stuff because he knows Rogan personally or because John's had people like Donald Rumsfeld on his show so he feels solidarity with Rogan on the platforming of extremists like Gavin McInnes or Stefan Molyneux. I, I honestly don't know and am disappointed because at least through John's show you could still very clearly see he was not on the side of Rumsfeld. But when Brogan has people like McInnes on his show or any other bigot, it is in a whole different capacity. Even if he mildly, occasionally challenges them, he is generally speaking from the sympathetic, anti-woke, anti-left, anti-minority side. So John should be able to see the difference. But instead, he's being an apologist, unfortunately and leaning on IDW-esque false equivalences and slippery slope arguments. I've heard some other excuses for Rogan from the left, too. That you should blame the government for their mishandling of COVID rather than criticize Rogan for his misinformation. And honestly, that's so silly because you can and should criticize both things. Another one I've heard is that we shouldn't criticize Rogan because it's mostly the tech giants that are at fault for incentivizing this type of content. And I definitely agree with that general criticism of big tech companies. Yes, they are massively at fault. And we definitely need to think of solutions for content regulation because this kind of shit keeps happening and no one knows what to do about it. But I don't think you can absolve Rogan either. It is his mind and mouth that comes up with this. And when someone has a platform as large as his, they need to be careful, thoughtful, and responsible. And he is none of those things. Even after his so-called apologies. That should tell you something. Anyway, if you enjoy listening to the show, please consider supporting it via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No E in mangoes. It only exists because of listeners like you. Many, many people listen to my content, but only a small fraction of listeners support it. Please consider contributing because this takes a lot of time, effort, and research to produce. Thank you for listening, everyone. I will see you out there in the Twitterverse. (laughs) Thought I was going to get away with a mostly Sam Harris-free episode for a change, but the podcast gods did not allow it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. 